This is the Bloom Pod, and I'm Taylor Onion. Welcome back, bloomers. If you weren't calling yourselves that, let me know. I am open to suggestions. Anyway, we've got a great episode for you today with perhaps my favorite guest ever. I'm biased in saying so because today's guest is my mom, Kathy Onion. Mom shared some of her life story with the Bloom Pod, including her love of organizational involvement and a whole bunch of wonderful advice. Here comes the episode. Enjoy! From, from my childhood bedroom. <laughs> it's just like you're here. Almost. This is, that would almost qualify as the Bloom Pod's first in-person interview. <laughs> With Flat Taylor. Right. Uh, okay, are you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's get started then. Okay. Now, I wanted to do this interview with you, Mom, because I wanted to ask you, of course, what it's like to have the perfect daughter. Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's been so easy. (laughs) I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, I wanted to do it because I know what a fantastic human you are, um, and you have have created... Um, or garnered, I should say, quite the following with your baton twirling skills over the past <laughs> <laughs> over the past few years. Um, and I think, you know, maybe it's time for, for people to know the woman behind the baton. I should have brought the baton. Darn it. <laughs> we, could, I maybe, we could get a cameo or something after the fact. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Little did I know I'd be known for baton twirling. Right. Well, and the other reason that I wanted to have you on was, of course, to circle back to the book that I found um, in the basement, which was called (laughs) How to Have a New Kid by Friday. And I just wanted to know if that really impacted, uh, you know, your parenting skills, if that impacted how Austin and I turned out. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Also show you my mug. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My mom was right. Mm -hmm. Oh. Well, you know me well enough to know that there were lots of reading because when you're working with college students, I always thought that they're going through some of the same developmental things that kids are. And so if there were things in there that I could use with the college students, I would use them as well. I was always looking for, for new ways to do things. So it looks like you turned out okay. <laughs> I think I did. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, now that you're saying that, that's making me think of just some of the brainstorming that we did with um, the Leadership Academy. And I think a lot of the questions I often get were, oh, you know, what resources did you use when you were when you were going through to create? What kind of leadership podcasts were you listening to? Or what kind of leadership books did you read? And uh, as you just alluded to, it's not always specifically the leadership stuff uh, that's in there. So I like to pull from uh, Fleetwood Mac and the conflict management they had within that band. And I like to pull from, you know, different podcasts that I listen to that aren't necessarily leadership related. I like Armchair Expert a lot, Um, Mm -hmm. but I like to pull things from abstract spaces, friends. I like to pull from movies, Inside Out, we used a lot in there as well, so. Yes, when I was in the alumni world, I was at a conference and one of my friends there, she would go to a grocery store conference 
which she wasn't in the grocery business at all, but she found it fascinating to be in a different industry and to stretch. Obviously, leadership is across the board. And so she was learning things about how to be a leader in that space. And the things they were talking about certainly were transferable and can be applicable to what she was doing in alumni and development. So I found that fascinating as a way to stretch. That is fascinating. I would be very curious to know what a grocery store conference um, would look like. I know. Talking about packaging or I have to figure out. Yeah, I'm sure it's the whole thing of marketing and knowing your client and um, same thing that you try to do in alumni relations is try to figure out who your clients are and and get them to love your product. Maybe they'll have a breakout session at this year's um, grocery store conference about please wear your mask. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing so. And if someone asks you to wear a mask, please don't get upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It's just anyway, a mask. Right, right. Not that big of a deal. Um, anyway, we kind of jumped in. We hit some heavy hitting, but typically I have my um, guests kind of talk about their, their background and their life leading up to this point. So um, I know where you grew up and I know most of your background, not all of it, um, but I'll have, you, I'll have you start there. All right. Well, I grew up on a farm uh, outside of Macomb, Illinois, which is a college town which offered great benefits because it was a college town. We uh, were often, we had international students who uh, were, we adopted, our family adopted, so they would come for holidays. So we had some students from Malaysia and mostly Malaysia, but they would come out and see the farm. And so that our parents were really good about, your grandparents were really good about uh, introducing us to culture and different cultures because the university was here. And so we would go to musicals and the International Bazaar and again, have these foreign exchange students who would be involved in our lives at different times of the year and come out and visit. So I grew up on a farm. When I was a kid, I was part, uh, this should have been a telltale sign. I found this not too long ago. It was a little book that was called The Buddy Club. So the first organization evidently I was in was in The Buddy Club which probably consisted of your Aunt Julie and my cousins. And then the next organization we were in was the Troublesome Creek Fighters. Mm. So south of our house was a creek called the Troublesome Creek. And we decided we would be in the group Troublesome Creek Fighters. And we made a handbook and put in rules and, of course, made up a song (laughs) about the Troublesome Creek Fighters. Did you want to share that song? Oh, gosh, can I remember it? Well, you'll have to forgive my... Uh, tone, but it was, trouble is very bad. It makes us all so sad. We do resent it. We should prevent it. Wildlife makes us feel so glad. I don't know why that was our song. I've known about the Troublesome Creek Fighters for quite some time, and I've never heard that song before. Yes, and actually, we had a shell that came from somewhere that the president had. And so I believe this shell is still floating around after all these years that the president of the organization gets on special occasions and takes care of. The president of the Troublesome Creek Fighters organization that you made up. That's correct. You got it. Which had four members. But we did have some sections in that book that said things like, um, who might we recruit? So we played a lot. As a kid, we played a lot in the pasture and outside and uh, just were in nature. I raised pigs. That was part of my 4-H experience or prior to 4-H experience. 
Um, so from the Troublesome Creek Fighters, my sister and I, of course, were in 4-H and we spent, oh gosh, a good 10 years in that. So 4-H is a great experience for kids of all ages, really helped you develop. I mean, at eight, nine, 10, we were doing talks and demonstrations in front of people and getting critiqued. And so when you've done that for a long time, getting critiqued in that world is not that scary. And, and it just provides a great training ground. For those who don't know, 4-H is kind of an agricultural club um, in rural areas for, for kids anywhere from, I mean, we were in it, I was in it before high school, but it goes, I think, all the way up through high school. Yes. Yes. Would you, say so some, would you say that it's more geared for the younger kids? Because I feel like once you get into high school, then you have things like the FFA and, and other, the, the Future Farmers of America and other organizations like that. Um, I think it is, it's geared for both because as you grow and develop, you know, as a younger person, you might be in, maybe you learn to make cookies or you bake with meat and you exhibit that product. Uh, but there was obviously more to 4-H than that because you would go on uh, tours of facilities and you would look at other people's projects and we had speakers and everybody had to give a talk and demonstration. So again, those leadership development skills were developed at a young age. We were involved in activities at a young age, probably to, as a way for grandma to keep us busy. <laughs> but again, it was a great experience because at that time, that was the way that we met other people. We didn't have club sports like we normally do, like you went through. Uh, that was our way to meet people from other counties and towns and kind of build our network that way through the projects that we raised. So as you get older, you take on more responsibility. You became officers in the club and you were mentoring younger kids. So, yeah. So 4-H was a big part. Mm -hmm. Then in high school, I was involved in student council and um, yearbook and all that kind of stuff, cheerleading. No baton twirling in high school, <laughs> not, believe not it or not. <laughs> no, no, that was just a, a fun hobby. Uh, but, and then decided to go off to college, of course, and that just continued. Decided to try out for cheerleading and got involved in a sorority and was involved with a several other organizations, Panhellenic, which is kind of the overarching group of sororities. I call it the United Nations of sororities. And that was a fabulous experience. And those friends are still, we stay in touch today. So it's kind of been a common theme throughout my life of leadership development, I guess. Being in, in organizations like the Buddy Club, all, yes. the way, all the way up to official organizations like sororities and, and Panhellenic and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So at some point after you stayed at WIU to get your master's, I know. I did. Mm -hmm. At some point in there, you meet and start dating dad, despite the fact that he called you your sister's name when you first met him. Yes, that was actually... <laughs> That was actually after I got my bachelor's. So my bachelor's degree is in management and my emphasis was in transportation and logistics. Today we would call that supply chain. And so my thought, this was of course in the eighties. So my thought was after graduation that I would go be a purchasing manager because I liked money and I like to spend other people's money. <laughs> so I uh, had a purchasing class that I really liked and so I sat for the CPM exam, which is a certified purchasing manager exam. And it's kind of like the CPA. So there's four parts and I had gotten through two or three of them and then still had one or two to go. But 
a recession hit. And so with the places that I was thinking about going to work, like State Farm or Merchant Screen and Transportation, um, they had a hiring freeze. And so that kind of changed the direction of what I was doing. And I ended up going on to getting a job on campus. And so I got to continue my leadership development in a different way by advising students. And then, yeah, I met your dad. I think and it's truly, we were introduced, so we got to tell the rest of the story. We, I was introduced by one of our mutual friends and um, he said, it's nice to meet you, Julie. And I said, Kathy, my name is Kathy. And so then he tried to set up some dates and uh, that didn't, didn't hit it off right away. <laughs> he always says I put him off for three years. I don't know if it was actually that long. But anyway, it's, it's a good, probably embellished story somewhat. Well, you can embellish on your side as well and say that it took you that long to get over the incorrect name. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's right. Um, I was I was going to say, I think it's interesting that you say uh, that you were going to go and be a purchasing manager because you like to spend other people's money. Because what I know of you, dear mother, is that you don't like spending money, period. <laughs> you will fix something over and over and over again to not have to spend the money to buy something new. <laughs> well, you know, if it's something that I really want, I will spend the money for it. But if it's something, and I think that's a function of grandma. Grandma's always talking about um, fix it up, use it, use it, you know, wear it out. That that was kind of their philosophy. And so I'm sure that's kind of a trickle down. After all, they have a 2005 Buick car, you know? Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure they can afford something else, but they're content. Right. They so do that's, like, it's all good. They do like those Buicks. That's like their third one that they've had. Is I the think right so. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So when you changed what you were doing, I think you worked at a bank for some time and then yeah. somewhere along the way you got involved with the alumni house. Yes. So when I was in college, I worked at the bank uh, for four years and got some banking experience, obviously, and worked as a teller, counting people's money. Big surprise there. Uh, <laughs> and making sure that they were saving it and not that's, spending. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And then a couple of positions came open on campus. So one was in the College of Business and Technology, and that was, um, I think it was assistant to the dean. And that came open, it was a 10-month job. That came open about the same time that the assistant alumni director position came open on campus. And so I had applied for both and actually was offered the assistant alumni position before they had closed on the College of Business job. And that was offered to someone else anyway. So I ended up taking the um, assistant alumni position and was there for 14 years. It was a great job. And they thought, didn't Gordy, who was your, who was the director of the alumni house, he thought that you would be there for maybe five years. Well, that was a concern because they <laughs> thought that I might leave town um, because I was young and recently graduated and that I might get bored staying there and would take off. So part of the interview process, there were lots of questions about what are your plans and those kinds of things. And then in the process of that and working there, I met your dad and he farms and you can't move the farm. And so that, it was a great place to start my career. What do you think? College. And you, you've still been pretty involved. I mean, when I was growing up, 
I, I feel like you drilled into Austin and I how wonderful college is and, oh, I'm so excited for you guys to go to college and you're going to meet so many great people. And I can't even count on two hands the number of times we would be in public, whether it was at Heritage Days or at the Scala County Fair or wherever, and you would run into somebody. And then after we left, okay, now I went to college with him and here's what he does now. Or, oh, and I went to college with her and, and here's what she does now. <laughs> And so it was always about the power of networking. Um, yes. And of course, you, I mean, it's not like when you left the alumni house, you still stayed at, at WIU, made a transition there. But what was or what are some of your favorite memories associated with your time at the alumni house? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, one of my favorite things about being there was that I had a lot of autonomy. And Gordy was the boss who, if you took an idea to him, he'd he he might initially go, you want to do what? And then we'd talk about it for a while and he'd be like, okay, let's do it. And so whatever it was, he was really gung-ho about developing his staff. And he knew in the process of developing his staff that some of them would leave, but he gave us the opportunity to work on our masters. Several of our staff members worked on their masters while they were working there. And that of course was a perk of working at the institution, but he was very supportive of that and really any kind of programming that we wanted to do to that we thought would improve what we were doing. He would support it and it didn't always work out, but he was like, Hey, you know what, we got to try this and this is what we'll do. So um, that's just the people that I got to work with there was a blast. Yeah. And both, both the staff side as well as the alumni side, because you got to meet a lot of people in different careers and just kind of hear their stories. And just this transformative time of them being in college. Always, you know, when I first started, I was thinking, and we were having the 40 and 50 reunion, I was thinking, what in the world am I going to talk to these people about? They've been out of school for 40 or 50 years, and I've been out for a year. And I quickly learned that if I just asked them to tell me about what it was like when they were there, that that's all I needed to ask because they would, they, they wanted to tell their stories about their favorite professors or classes or moments in time, or remember when we did this and you could just see their faces light up. So it was mm -hmm. fabulous. I was, I was thinking um, as you were at the very beginning, when you were talking about the organizations that you've been in and those have continued to be such a big part of your life. And I was like, man, Austin and I, I mean, we had, you know, our cousins, we had Lee and Eric and it was a similar setup. Now we, we weren't troublesome Creek fighters and we did not, we were maybe the second generation, but we didn't have yes. a rule book or yeah. anything like that. And, but as I'm thinking about you and thinking about, we grew up and spent so much time going with you or being with you at, you know, student alumni council meetings or just in the alumni house and at first, I was thinking some of my favorite memories are rating the gumball stash that Gordy always had. Absolutely. From one of our alums who worked for Ford Gum. Ah, I he actually didn't sent, know that. Yeah, he sent him a huge box of gumballs every year. And yeah, so you rated the gumball stash. Right. I loved, we loved the gumballs. Another thing that stands out to me is going to those student alumni council meetings when we would pack the sack bags. And I don't even, was it around midterms or finals or why did, why did you do that? It was finals week, and so it was a, a bag of treats that parents could purchase for their students, and then we would deliver it, so they would write a note and pay, uh, I don't even remember what the fee was, but a certain amount of money, and then we would pack the, we called them survival sacks, and then we would go deliver them to the residence hall or wherever they lived. If they lived off campus, they would come pick them up, but then they got a note from home right before they started finals, and um, 
and some treats to get him through finals week. So yeah, I mean, the most we did of those, I think one semester we did a thousand bags and we'd have the big assembly line in the basement. You guys always love to come and help do Mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. I can remember that. And I can remember the big day for Austin and I was when they um, put the brick on the backside of the alumni house which made a new area where we could rollerblade and test out our rollerblading tricks. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you guys were good sports because you spent a lot of time um, just hanging out. You know, I'd pick you up in the babysitter and you'd go back with me and you spent a lot of time in the attic because that was kind of a cool spot and you got to watch homecoming parades from there and go watch homecoming floats being built. I used to always say that you and Austin probably been to more college meetings, like student organizational meetings than most college students, because you started at such a young age, mm-hmm. just just going around. And, and uh, of course, you would talk to all the students. You were a little bit older, and Austin would listen, and he was very observant, which is how he got the nickname The Wizard. <laughs> so one of our grad students, just w- he would watch him, and he said, that, that kid is smart. He's going to be a wizard, because he's just soaking in all the environment. And so that's how he got the nickname with the wizard. Mm. I was thinking, and you and you kind of just alluded to it as well. But I was I was leading up to say all those memories that I have, like that that was our organization. We were yes. you know the alumni house and being around both the staff that worked there and the students who were a part of the alumni council and seeing the alums and really just seeing you light up when it was homecoming time or when there was a football game and you could see you know other WIU folks and yeah. and interact with them and and of course uh in the homecoming parade when they when the WIU band stops in front of the alumni oh, house yeah. to play Georgia on my mind is, yeah. that might be and that might be my favorite and and I'm an I'm an Illini through and through I mean I bleed orange and blue but that might be I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it top five favorite marching band uh traditions of, oh, yeah. of all time Yes, which is interesting time. because we're in Illinois. So why they play Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the the band director's favorite song, wasn't it? It was the president's favorite song, president's. and the band director kind of created a version of it so that they would play it at halftime, and that was it became a tradition. That that was a famous song, and the that rendition of it was very famous. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is a it is a very cool rendition. That is for sure. Yeah. That's, those weekends you were talking about with homecoming and whenever alums were back were always the times that they were crazy busy. We put in a lot of hours. We worked with our alumni board and you also came away from it thinking, I love my job. I love my job, mm-hmm. which, which is not a thing that not everybody can say. So it was a great opportunity to be there and have you guys around it. And, and they all, I remember, <laughs> talk about remembering. I remember one time we were having pizza with the Student Alumni Council and we were in the conference room and somebody started eating their, f- chewing with their mouth open. Do you remember the story? I've, I've heard you tell it before, but I don't remember yes. personally. So they were chewing, they had food in their mouth and they were chewing with their mouth open and you threw up the peace sign, which was really a V and you said, violation. <laughs> the student said, excuse me? And you said, violation. And he said, well, violation, what do you mean? And you said, violation, you're chewing with your mouth open. <laughs> so we all kind of laughed because that's something we would do at home. Uh, we had little chance and memory things for manners. So that was which, one of them. 
no surprise that we had chants and and <laughs> uh, gestures that we would do with a mom who was a former cheerleader. <laughs> Absolutely. We had, that's actually something I had in my notes to bring up was that uh, the one that I most commonly remember being used was the, the V for violation if you mm-hmm. burped at the table, because then you would, of course, have to do the dishes that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were always, I mean, gosh, I, I just, the other day was, um, we had gotten some Comet at the store to do some cleaning in the bathrooms. And you know what I had to start singing. <laughs> and I can never remember if it's if Comet makes your teeth turn blue or if that's Ajax, but I just sang it, however. Yeah. Are you going to sing it? Now people I mean, are curious. Well, they probably are. The one that I remember is Comet. It makes your teeth turn blue. Comet. It tastes like Elmer's glue. Comet. It makes you vomit. So come try Comet and vomit today. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, when we were growing up, you would sing that and the one about Ajax, which is very similar. It's just green yes. gasoline. Right. Uh, but those, I don't feel, I don't think that we had either Comet or Ajax as cleaning supplies <laughs> in our house. And so a lot of the time, I'm just like, well, this must be something that's made up. <laughs> but you anyway. You never know. All, all that to say, there are um, several things I remember from childhood, Pro- probably because, um, you know, as a cognitive uh, learning piece, it's easier to remember things when there's a song or a gesture or whatever associated Absolutely. with it. So. And do you remember the saying we would tell you before we go into a restaurant? I do not. Sit in your chair. So uh, was, do you remember now? Sit I- in your chair and eat your food and don't interrupt because that would be rude. <laughs> Yes, I do recall that. Potty training included my pants are dry and so am I. (laughs) (laughs) And now all the secrets are coming out, Taylor. Are you regretting this decision? Absolutely not. (laughs) This is is fantastic. (laughs) Uh, So so at some point you ended your, after 14 years at the alumni house, ended your tenure as the assistant director for for the alumni house. And then you changed over or switched over to the university side of things. Yes. Very, very difficult decision to leave there because I'd kind of grown up there, started my career, had a lot of autonomy, um, loved the people I work with and loved what I was doing. And it, it did involve some nights and weekends, of course. And you guys were getting a little bit older and um, part of what we did when we were at the alumni house was we'd gone to the university of uh, to Clemson University, I'd taken the students to a conference down there. And at Clemson, they have big paw prints all over. And so when the students got back, they decided they wanted to print those on uh, the street. So we got approval and we would paint the paw prints on the street because we saw it at Clemson. And that was an annual project. And so there ended up being 230 some paw prints. And so one day I remember organizing, helping organize the students. Uh, getting that ready for pe- volunteers to come and paint and wondering how many more years I was going to paint the paws. How many more years would I do this and what would be my next step? And then a position came open in the College of Business and I had already been teaching a leadership course uh, in RPTA. It was called uh, Emerging Leaders and I had also taught a University 100, kind of a welcome to the university course and really enjoyed that. It was another avenue to interact with students and that position came open and I felt like I just needed to at least explore it. 
So I put in my application for that and went through the interview process and ended up being one of two people who got hired to teach in the college business. But I, it was a tough, tough move because I loved what I did. I did not know that you had already taught classes before. I guess, well, now that I'm a professional, that makes total sense that you would need that experience to become a professor yes, <laughs> before yes. you became a professor. But uh, 10-year-old Taylor, that right over my head. <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people who found opportunities for me. And, and certainly Gordy was one of those. Jim Miner was one who would say, hey, here's an opportunity. I think you'd be good at this. And sometimes I thought, what are you talking what are you talking about? But their belief, and, and the same thing in the sorority, I had a sorority mom who told me I should run for Panhellenic office. And I was like, what? I've never even been on Panhellenic. You want me to run for the vice presidency? Huh? And I did, and I ended up getting the position. And that's how Karen Nishimura and I uh, connected 30 some years ago and are still obviously Many people mistake the fact that they think we're sorority sisters. We were in the same sorority. She was in Sigma Kappa, and I was in Alpha Sigma Jaw. And we're like, nope, we're just Panhellenic sisters, and that friendship has continued. So that was a little rabbit tracking, but that's, uh, that's how I did some of the teaching things, is that we had an opportunity to, to teach a leadership course, and it was a blast. Right. So the... Intro to university or welcome to the university, yes. the leadership course you taught. And then when yes. you got into, when you officially became a professor, yes. you were teaching what classes? I was teaching introduction to business and business communication. Okay. Now more sections than, than just the two, but uh, those two classes were my primary ones. And then eventually, again, had an opportunity. They needed someone to teach the principles of management class. And so volunteer <laughs> I'll do it because right. it was a lot my master's program was a little bit different but it the management classes are a lot like what we studied group dynamics um, you're talking about goal setting what I studied in my master's program so that's why I was interested in that cool what would luckily, you say they took a chance <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it again but this time uh, as it relates to being a professor what would you say uh, is your favorite memory attached to the time you spent teaching at WIU Gosh. Oh, um, hmm. Well, my favorite thing was just if I got to have a student more than once, I, it's the same thing when I was advising. If I got to have them more than once, I got to see their growth and development through those stages. So I might have had them as a freshman and then they took me again as a junior or took a class with me as a junior or a senior. And to watch how they'd grown and developed was my favorite part. Or uh, I guess I use the phrase holding up the mirror that somebody I found out. So here's an example. I had a student who was just a rock star. She was just, I mean, super smart, did well in classes, had decided she wanted to be in the, she was going to sign up for the National Guard. I'm like, girl, you have guts. She was raised on a farm and she had cattle and she sold those to help her pay for college. Short story was she didn't feel very confident in her abilities, but I had no idea that's how she was feeling until after the semester was over. And then she wrote me and said, thank you for believing in me when I didn't believe in myself. Nice. Yeah. That's so those are the cool moments. Yeah. Lots of feel good moments there, I'm sure. A absolutely. And 
that adventure as a professor yes uh, ended what two years ago yeah and may may of 18 may of 2018 that's hard to believe yes um i still feel like i can remember the time when you were like oh, i just put in my papers for retirement <laughs> <laughs> yeah another big decision right because once again i loved what i was doing and it, like I'm not old enough to retire and the formula of course as you know the formula for retirement age and calculation was going to change again and if I didn't retire that year then it would have taken some time probably a year year and a half to get back to the same place so it's not that I was tired of doing what I was doing or didn't think I could add value it was just a matter of um, the calculation mm-hmm. money money mm-hmm. <laughs> And and when you retired, what what have I been telling you for the past two years since retirement? Uh, I don't know. What do you, you've been telling me lots of things in the last two years. <laughs> most most notably, or at least what I'm what I'm referring to now is that when you retired, you were like, okay, now I can go back and I can teach part time, and or I could join this organization and I could do this and this and this. And I said, Mom, why don't you just retire for a while? Let's just. <laughs> Let's just pump the brakes. Let's just enjoy the slowdown. But you, of course, I was going to say, of course, you didn't listen to that advice at all, and you jumped right into uh, Dale Carnegie training, which is which is what you're doing now. Yes. Well, you have to remember, I am an Enneagram two, and uh, as you, since you made me take the test, as you know, Enneagram twos love to serve other people, and so we're always looking for a way to serve. Mm-hmm. Yes, Benny so. too is is dubbed the helper. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which also the Enneagram too um, has a tendency to not look out for their own needs, which is what <laughs> I was trying to help you, <laughs> you do. Well, there you go. You know, <laughs> that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> so yes, actually, I as when I was teaching, I was also in charge and uh, of the professional development series that we had on campus for students in the college business. So we brought in speakers to talk about professionalism and etiquette and um, how to email, work on your resume, work on a cover letter, how do do your interviewing skills, dress for success. Those were all topics that we put on. And through that, I had contacted the Dale Carnegie office out of Peoria and asked them if they had some modules that they could come in and do. And so eventually we got them to campus to do a session for some students. And then when it was time for, they had asked earlier, but I didn't feel like I had time to put into teaching and training for Dale Carnegie uh, while I was also teaching full time. Uh, at work. So after the fact, after I retired, they did reach out and say, hey, we'd be interested if you're interested. So that led me on the next journey. And, and the rest is history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And some people aren't familiar with Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie has been around for a long time. It's over a hundred year company. Uh, there are more than 2,700 trainers worldwide. Uh, and we do human relations courses. So we always talk about how yeah, the principles are over 100 years old, but one thing we know is that they work or they still wouldn't be around. So it's based on a lot of research and they can, the company continues to do research and about adult learning and how um, to teach and train so that people can kind of immerse themselves in it and see change, changes occurring in whatever area they want to see those changes occurring. Right, 
right? That makes sense. Yeah. 100%. I don't think 100%. I said that until just now. Good job. <laughs> Which normally, I guess if I had been saying it, you probably would have pointed it out. <laughs> I thought that was, uh, that was funny when I did the, um, the interview with uh, Jen Fry a couple of weeks ago. She mentioned that she hadn't watched her TED Talk video. Mm-hmm. And it was because one of the reasons when you watch yourself on those things, you start to notice the words or the phrases that you say over and over again. And I almost brought up with her, yeah, apparently I've been saying 100%. Because <laughs> <laughs> every, every Tuesday afternoon, my mom calls me and says, hey, you said that a lot on the podcast today. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. Now I know. And I can look at this. Now we've done it. And I haven't said it at all. <laughs> How about that? Impressive. Impressive. Uh, all right. So you know that I like to wrap up by saying, by having you um, give some some advice. Um, and I think this time during quarantine, um, we have seen the virtual graduation ceremonies. We've seen, you know, college seniors and high school seniors and, and folks who have had their um, the normal, what, what should have been normal graduation and, and a time for celebration and, and all of that, um, you know, not... It, it has just looked very different this year. So for, sure. for, for those who are, um, as we're moving toward the new normal, for those graduating seniors, um, what advice would you have for them as they're searching for jobs, as they're trying to figure out, you know, career paths, life in general? What do you got, Mama? So these are for, you're talking about high school students who are going off to college? All of the above. High school okay. students could be graduating college seniors, whatever, however you want to do it. Well, you know me well enough to know that I actually put together a whole list of recommendations for high school students going to college, and it it's kind of like a five-page deal, <laughs> how to take a test, things you should do in college, and of course, those obviously include getting involved in an organization, so uh, don't just go to class and go home. Real learning and your ability to apply the concepts that you learn in class to an organization will be key in helping you learn and understand that. And there's lots of organizations where you can develop your marketing skills or whatever skills you're trying to develop that will be key when you get to the workplace. And it's a very low risk environment. You're not risking a million dollars in a marketing campaign. You're risking $35 in a marketing campaign, trying to get your message out to recruit new members or whatever it might be. So, Definitely get involved and build your leadership skills would be one. Um, Another tip I would say is go see your professor. If you're struggling with the content or the material, don't wait until it's two weeks before finals. And then you go in and say, can I do extra credit? Is there anything I can do? Well, you could have done a lot of things in the first six weeks, like show up to class. That would be good. Take some notes. (laughs) So that your professors are there to help you, so make sure that you go in and take advantage of that or Zoom them today if that's the way you need to communicate with them. But they want you to be successful. We don't, because honestly, if you do a good job on your homework, it makes our job as a professor easier. It makes it easier to grade if you can write well. And so we want you to do well, but we're not going to make it easy because we have to protect the brand. And I would tell my students a lot, you're going to go out and graduate from Western Illinois University, and that's a brand. And you have to have a certain skill set, skill level, in order to represent the brand. And so I'm going to be hard on you here, just like in athletics. Uh, You're harder on them in practice, then it makes the game easier. 
or makes the match easier. So I'm going to be really hard on you here so that when you get to the workplace and people aren't following the rules that you know of writing to be true, that you're going to shine above the rest because you do know how to write well and communicate well. So those would be a couple of them, but reach out and utilize your, build your network of people and get some experience. Uh, doing what it is you want to do. It, you know, I always kind of pick on Taco Bell for no apparent reason. It could be any company really, but in class I would say if all you've done is work at Taco Bell and then you want to get a $60,000 job as a purchasing manager, it's going to be tough for us to hire you because you haven't done anything along the way that actually demonstrates that you have any interest in that. You didn't volunteer to work in a purchasing office, you don't know anything about running a budget, you just haven't done any skill sets. So think about places that you can either volunteer or get a job that give you some experience at least related to what it is you want to do to find out for sure if you want to do it. Right. I had a, here's a perfect example. I had a student who was a 4.0 accounting student, super smart, and she got an accounting internship one summer. And while she was in that internship, she realized she hated that job. <laughs> she hated it. She was really good at it, but she hated it. And she couldn't mm -hmm. imagine doing that for the rest of her life. And she came back and she changed her major to elementary education. And she's a teacher and a coach. Mm -hmm. But she never would have known that unless she'd done the internship. Right. She, I'm sure she would have finished and done really well as an accountant, but that just wasn't where her passion was. And it took her to get that work experience to find out this is not it. Yeah. I think so, a lot of, I think a lot of times too, and I'm going to, on your on your Taco Bell example, if that is the job you already have, then find a way to make it, find a way to flex it to what you need. So if you're Absolutely. working the cash register or, or um, you know, if you're one of the cooks or whatever it is, then find a way, hey, uh, you know, can I also ask, can I sit down with my manager and find out what it is that they do or how they manage or with the purchasing manager or, hey, who can you put me in contact with that can, that can help me there? So it's finding... Right. I think a lot of times, and even in even in the example you just gave with the, the girl who was an accountant, a lot of times um, we see students, and I certainly am guilty of this in my own um, career path, of getting into a position and and thinking, okay, this is not what I want to do, so now I just have to start all over from scratch. And that's just not the case. It's, yeah. it's you know, you start where you are with what you have and you mm -hmm. make the position what you like take. So people are hiring you because they need something for their company. And right. on the flip side of that, you are taking the job because you need something from that company. You need the experience. So mm -hmm. you have to make it what you need to be able to take whatever the next step is. For sure. Which is a great example. So again, if uh, maybe the Taco de Bell position doesn't allow you an opportunity, first of all, you have to be your own advocate. If you don't ask, people can't say yes. They can't say no either, but they definitely can't say yes. <laughs> and so one piece of the story we kind of left out was when I was at the Alumni Association and you were four and Austin was one you were four and Austin was one. I felt like I just got home from work and threw you in the bathtub and fed you while you were in the bathtub, which of course I didn't. And then you went to bed and I just, I, it was a struggle for me. And while my position was not a part-time position, it was a full-time professional position. I went in and proposed to my boss that I would work to work part-time. And he first said, well, we can't do that. This is a full-time position. And I'm like, okay, I understand, but I need to ask that. 
because here's how I'm feeling. And we looked at several different configurations, like, well, maybe you could work from home a few days and maybe you could blah, blah, blah. In the end, he said, of course, we're going to find a way. We want to keep you. So we're going to find a way. And that's, oh, we had another professional person who was underemployed. She had her master's degree, but she had two small children who were, uh, had some physical disabilities. And so we were able to share the job. But had I never advocated for myself to say, this is something that I want to do, that would never have come up. Because he wasn't going to come in and be like, hey, you got some kids now. You want to go part time? That was never going to happen. And so being an advocate for yourself on what you want to do. And yes, that that might have meant that I had to leave the position and go somewhere else and find a different job. Luckily for me, they were willing to adapt that position so that I could stay and we could get the benefit out of the out of Susie, Susie Miner Mm -hmm. and her expertise as well. So be your own advocate and ask. And then look for other, if you can't get it in the job, then look for other opportunities to volunteer because Mm -hmm. employers want to see that you're moving along the path that demonstrates to us that you want to do it, that you actually want to do this job and you have some, you've tried it in some way Mm -hmm. and you know that, because we want to know, you're right, you are solving a problem for companies and we want to know what's going to make you get up and go to work on the day you don't want to get up and go to work. Mm -hmm. You just don't feel it. Right. What's the passion that's going to drive you? Because everybody has those days in whatever business you're in. Entrepreneurs have it all the time. Like, wow, what am I going to do today? Right. Yeah. For sure. 100%. 100%. <laughs> all right, Mama. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. This was. Oh, wait. You're not going to ask me any other advice? I have a whole list here. <laughs> you have five pages worth five of advice. Five pages. That's right. Yeah, because I, I thought she's going to ask me this question. So. Uh, that's what I would give for college students. Do you have a oh. minute? <laughs> what, what other advice do you have? That you I told to? you. I told you if you give a professor a microphone, they won't be quiet. So um, uh, here are some of the things that I wrote down. Your grandma used to say, assume that everybody's wearing a sign that says, make me feel important. Mm-hmm. So in your interactions with them, focus on that person. Assume they're wearing that sign that says, make me feel important. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote, <coughs> excuse me, Will Keim uh, often came to campus and spoke to students. And he would say, assume that people are behaving perfectly normal based on whatever is happening in their life. And then he would go on and challenge us and say, how many of you know if somebody in your department is going through a divorce or waiting for cancer test results? Or just assume that their behavior is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, your grandma would also say, learn to type. You'll always have a job. Yes, we had to do these typing exercises <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when we were kids. Yeah, it kind of looks like Spock. Mm-hmm. Mm. So here's my last one, and that would be the biggest influence you can have is in the four walls of your home. That if you get 100% in career and uh, 40% in family or 100% in finances and a 40% in work, that that's not going to function well, is that you have to find a way to balance for you. I remember um, hearing someone say, I think it was Brene Brown, was talking about the Anjali commercial from several years ago said, uh, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never ever let him forget he's a man. And Brene Brown said, 
I don't know how much perfume that sold, but I can tell you how much money was spent on counseling because it made women think that they had to be all things to all people mm-hmm. at that time frame when that, that commercial came out. And so anyway, that would be another piece is that figure out what is, you can, you can have it all, maybe not at the same time. There's always a give and take in relationships and, and the biggest influence you can have is with your family. Mm-hmm. Which well, is why you turned out so great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the other thing that I've often had to say to you is, Mom, can you just can you trust your parenting here and, yes. and trust that I can, you know, make an adult decision or a smart decision or whatever it may be. Which absolutely most, most often I feel surrounded um, sending a thank you note or or something with finances. Yes, it's like hey. I think it would be a good idea if you did this. Like, mom, can you, can you trust your parenting and know that I already sent that thank you note? Or can uh-huh. you trust your parenting and know that yes. I already? <laughs> You're doing a good job coaching me back and saying, uh, you can set aside that parenting hat now. It's okay. You can take it off. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Well, yes. But you know, one of my favorite messages you sent me when you were in college that I will always remember was it was just a random message. And I think you were on your way to practice and all it said was, thanks for not being psycho. <laughs> and I was like, you're welcome. And then wondering, what is the rest of this story? <laughs> That's all it said. I think you'd had a rough day that day. And yeah. uh, that was, that's how you reached out. So to the parents sending kids off to college, just remember, you might get messages like, thanks for not being a psycho. That's a win. Right. Take it. That's a win. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Mama. Well, I'm glad that I uh, that I let you go through your five your five pages of uh, advice notes because there was some <clears throat> some really good stuff in there. So thank you for sharing and thank you for being on the podcast. Um, and thanks for doing it. I'm proud of you. And I love you. <clears throat> I love you too. I'm proud of what you're doing. You have gumption. <laughs> proud of you, kid. Thanks, Mama. I love you. I love you too. Stay tuned for the recap of this episode with my sidekick, Melissa Lutz. Here we are. (laughs) I wish that that could be like an audible, um, you know, an audible sound there. It is happy hour. We are cheersing. Cheers. That sound, that glorious sound was me just opening... A white claw. Yes. And we will keep calling it a white claw and not a white clizzle, which is the way you just referred to it <laughs> via text. Is Snoop Dogg still not, is he still cool? Because, like, I thought it was still cool to add Izzle to everything. Am I um, out of times? Yeah, I think definitely it could be a thing, and it might still be a thing for Snoop Dogg. Um, I am not Snoop Dogg. You're not Snoop Dogg. It was a good try, though. Thank you. Um, And, you know, while we're on the subject, White Claw, if you're listening. (laughs) And send me some product. I'll be above. (laughs) Um, I want to kick things off before we get into the recap of today's episode. I want to kick things off um, with the generous coffee advertisements that I promised from last week. A hundred percent. 
Yes, you did. You can really, you can really use it wherever you want. That's the great thing. <laughs> See? <laughs> this is dangerous. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, okay, here's the first one. Everyone deserves an opportunity, and your purchase makes that a reality. <gasps> Love it. Now, can you make it a song? Everyone, <laughs> everyone deserves an opportunity. <laughs> Maybe we'll stick to um, I, I also want to point out that um, that was pulled directly from the Generous Movement website, and you didn't even catch it. <laughs> I thought that you would. <laughs> I'll be honest, I run the coffee shop side of thing, things. I didn't write the content of the website. But I, was, I did notice, I was like, wow, this is an accurate reflection of generous. Good job, Taylor. <laughs> my advertising skills are a little bit rusty because all that I came up with on my own in the two minutes before we began this, which is when I remembered that I had promised you jingles, was... Generous coffee shops. Your shop for coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a good starting point. We can maybe like bounce some more ideas around, you know. Mm-hmm. One of my uh, colleagues, anytime that we are trying to advertise our programming, her go-to advertising statement is circa like 1990 because she's always like, need help with your resume? Come to the resume workshop. (laughs) Every single one starts that way. Need more network? Need more. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Need more. (laughs) Need more people in your network? Come to networking night. (laughs) There's nothing if not consistent. True. That is very true. She is very consistent. I'll give her that. Also, look at the lighting. Does it look like a halo? Now it does. Yeah. Oh, but I would like to uh, politely request that you use as little video footage of me um, as possible, given that I'm rocking a peplum shirt from work, some spandex, and rocking the hairstyle of someone who has recently been electrocuted. If we could just keep the video footage to a minimum, that would be preferable. You got it. This will this will be for the vault. <laughs> <laughs> but now everyone's maybe a little intrigued. True, I might have to give them a teaser. Um, Not even mentioned it. Now, the other thing that I wanted to introduce was the potential for a new segment called It's Time for the Question of the Day. Oh! Um, and today's question is what should I have for dinner? <laughs> Ooh, well, what do you have in your home? Uh, you know, pizza. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. I think that's probably what I'll do. The long pause told me, like, nothing that you wanted to eat was in your home. So maybe, like, order in. Right. It's really just the goldfish that are around here. But, anyway. A little appetizer, if you will. Yeah, it is appetizing. Um... Shall we jump right in? Let's do it. This is half onion. This is the quickest turnaround because I did the interview today and I'm doing the recap today. Oh, that was just today? Wow. Yeah, yeah. First time for everything. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, Kathy Onion, I 
had to bring up at the beginning of the interview um, the Have a New Kid by Friday book, which, which we discussed in, I don't even remember what episode that was, but um, she did bring up an interesting point in saying that some of that stuff, some of the stuff from a parenting book also applies to college student development. So I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, now I want to read it. I should have snagged it. Segment. Maybe we could do a, a tidbit from the book at the end at the end of each episode? Is this too many segments? <laughs> you know, we now have the jingle segment, the question of the day segment, and the how to have a new kid by Friday segment. I don't think that's too many. I think it's the right amount. We will revisit what is the right amount once we've exceeded double digits. True. That is a very good point. Um, but wait, on the note, on the subject of the jingle, while I was listening to your interview with your mother, who is a treat, by the way, I mean, I already knew that because I've known your mom for many, many moons now. Um, but perhaps we have her do our jingle. Ooh. Our little sign off. That could be good. We could also get Aunt Julie involved. You know how much they like to sing. It'll be an actual production. It won't just be me awkwardly feeling put on the spot and like, that's the way. <laughs> right. Oh man, we're gonna have like a whole cheer if I ask her to do that. <laughs> which, which, yeah, which would actually be kind of fantastic. Mm -hmm. A new segment. <laughs> uh, closer and closer to the double digits. We may mm -hmm. be revisiting this topic by the end of this podcast. True. This is true. Um. I, in, in the notes that I took as I was listening back to this, um, she, I don't know what that noise was. Sorry. <laughs> Never mind. I'm doing some feng shui. <laughs> uh, as I was listening back to, um, or yeah, as I was listening back, I, I took some notes, of course, as I do. And I did not know that they used to host um, students from Malaysia. I did not know that there was a song associated with the Troublesome Creek Fighters. And I did not know that she taught before she was an actual professor. Oh, it makes me think maybe I should interview my mother, find out some funny <laughs> information about her. True. You know what would be fun is we should just do like a mom's, a mom's cast. Ooh. That would be fun. Yeah, a little spin-off to the Bloomin' Onion. Yeah. It's named the... Bloomin' Mom. Onion. Sprouted? What? Sprouted Onion? Yeah. Huh. Because, because there's a little sprout. And there was another reason, but I forgot. <laughs> are, are we the sprouts, or is the mom segment we, the sprout? We have sprouted. Ah. Uh. And produced offspring. Oh. Oh. There it is. That's the reason. <laughs> the perfect tagline. <laughs> uh, I also would like to point out that when I asked her, um, I first asked her to be on the podcast, she was like, what? What do you want to talk to me about? And then when I asked her again more recently, like, hey, I, I would like for you to be on the podcast. You know, do you want to do it? And she was like, well, if you give a teacher a microphone, you never know when they'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> which 
came to light today at the very end of the episode when I was like, all right, mom, thanks. And she's like, wait, I have more advice to give. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. That was classic, Kath. I I really enjoyed that. She's like, wait, I don't get to give the rest rest of my advice. I have pages here. (laughs) (laughs) And she did. I mean, you didn't see the video, but she literally held up the paper of advice that she had. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so prepared. Yeah, yeah, it was good times. It was good times. No baton twirling uh, in this, in this episode of, of podcast in, but maybe we could make room for that in a future episode. Maybe or, the video jingle is she's also twirling a baton. True. Ooh, how can we tie baton in with blooming? Blaton. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> we'll keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so her story like I always knew that she was a professor it's really cool to hear like how she got into the field what she was passionate about and like honestly hearing these stories about the violation (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I can imagine it I can imagine your household 20 some years ago and everything being like this cute little rhyme that your mom came up with and Taylor and Austin just followed along and said these rhymes and called people out for their violations for poor Mm -hmm. manners. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was, I mean, there was a lot of good pieces of that interview, but um, just being able to envision you guys and hear those stories about like the little tricks that your mom used raising you is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you understand me more now that you know those things? Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you are your mother's daughter in so many ways. True. So, like, I understand you just even knowing Kath, but, like, those stories <laughs> really drive it home. Mm-hmm. My mom, I feel like that's something that she and, I don't know if it's she and my Aunt Julie, I feel like they say it the most often. But they constantly, um, it was like the further I got into college and the more they were introduced to you guys, because of course you hadn't, you know, it's like I hadn't known you, any of you for 18 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're the best of friends. And so they would always say like, ah, you in your family makes perfect sense. (laughs) And so whenever people you know, hear from, hear from my mom or meet my mom or whatever. That's what I'm imagining is happening in their head that it's just like, ah, I get it now. (laughs) All comes together. Mm -hmm. I will say uh, a rhyme that she had or has that has um, come to mind as we were talking about this was from Christmas a few years ago uh, when people kept dropping off spiral hams at our house. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I don't know it's like a Christmas gift in a small town like the seed companies will drop them off or like I don't know just just different businesses that the farm uses to you know get things done anyway we got a lot of hams that year and so one day she went to the door and there were several out there and she brought it back into the kitchen and she was like put your hands in the air we have another ham to prepare (laughs) oh my gosh she's fantastic um when your mom was teaching was she like goofy and had fun jingles to engage your students in class or was she more like super professional um like representing her brand you know 
I think it was more of the former. Uh, and I'm pretty bummed out. I mean, because of our schedule, there was no way that I ever could have gone to, you know, like shown up and like been a guest student or just kind of like watched as she taught, which I would have loved to have done. Um, but she, I think almost every class had music playing, like as, as students were walking in. And if memory serves, and I'll have to check in with her on this, but I'm pretty sure that what circa 2010, 2011, she, she attempted the Dougie in one of her <laughs> classes. Fantastic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That, yeah, that, that uh, year checks out. You're <laughs> I don't know why I doubted you. Um, you know what I was imagining when I was thinking what year it was? I was imagining you doing the Dougie in our apartment junior year. I was imagining where most of the pictures um, of of me attempting the Dougie, which a lot of them came from Blue Balks, mm. which would have been 2010. That's a that's a shout out to you Illini fans out there. No <laughs> Blue Test your campus knowledge. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> um... I would have loved to have her as a professor. I feel like it would be a class that would like, I'd actually had gone to in college. <laughs> Mom, if you're listening, I went to all of my classes. It was money well spent. <laughs> Ironically, that is some of the advice that she shared at the end to, sh- to show up to class. Although, yeah. as, we, as we mentioned in a previous uh, recap, you did have a way of succeeding without showing up. Or by waiting to the last minute. <laughs> yeah. I know I know what I had to do to get by. You knew what you had to do apparently to get A's while some of us worked really hard to get B's. That is <laughs> <laughs> not bitter at all. <laughs> that is not something that I remember uh, very specifically about my college experience, no. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, I feel like the classes I would go out of my way to go to are the ones that like, you know, you had to like sign into or something or the ones that like, I never had him, but I heard really good things about Professor Snodgrass. Ah, he was fantastic. It was like a weather class or something. And it was always, I couldn't get in. I tried to take it, but it was like booked every time I went to sign up for classes and because people just loved him. Mm -hmm. He is, I'm, Almost positive. He's a WIU graduate. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Good old yep. Macomb, Illinois. Turn around. Uh, good, good stuff. I know. He taught um, severe and hazardous weather. And if you asked me what I remembered from taking that class, it is shelf clouds. Because uh, Jessica, Jessica Dendrick would always um, tell us, storm's coming, guys. It's about 20 minutes away. Whenever she would see a shelf cloud <laughs> on her walk home from class. <laughs> No, Jess. What a lady. I know. Good times. Good times. Um, wait, but I've got. Hold on, I've got more little notes in my phone that I want to talk about. Your mom. Yeah, let's um, let's hear them. What do you got? Well, the two I took note of two of the pieces of advice. I, Kath, I took mental note of all of them, but I wrote down two. I just want you to know. <laughs> um, the representing the brand, like remembering that. Um, when she was teaching, it was like, okay, we want you to succeed, but we want it to be quality work. Um, and because you're representing the institution that you're graduating from in the real world. And that's just something that like, in my experience, after graduating college is like, 
representing your own brand and remembering that like in every interaction, whether it's professional or not, you're making an impression on someone and you never know who that person is going to be to you in the future. So like uh, the other, the second one I made note of is make them feel important. So I, I love both those pieces of advice because I think what I've found in observing other people and in my own life is like, if you are representing yourself well, treating others well, making them feel seen, like listening, really listening when they talk, making eye contact, they're gonna remember you. And then you never know, like how many people do we interact with in our daily lives that down the road, you could help them or they could help you, but they're only gonna wanna help you or like think of you for an opportunity if you left a really positive impression on them. Mm -hmm. if you're if you're front of mind and your interaction was was good that's something that that we attempt to drill into our freshmen as they come in is that it you know you've been in this space where in high school you are yes you're representing a high school brand but the biggest thing is your own personal brand where you've been trying to get recruited right for the last four years now you've got it now you achieve that and you're here but you are you're no longer the big fish in the small pond now you are you know, a little bit of a smaller fish in a much larger pond. And, and as a result of that, you are representing the university and the athletic department and yourself and your team at all times. You don't get to take off, you know, there's, if you're in class, the professor and everybody around you is looking at you like, oh, that, that person's on the volleyball team over there. That person's on the soccer team. It's not just like, oh, a student. You know, like just because you're in the classroom and you're wearing your student hat doesn't mean that the athlete part of it goes away. So I thought that uh, protect the brand, specifically that phrase in that statement was, I had a similar reaction to it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So many good nuggets from that interview. So many. And I will also say um, when she mentioned that my grandma would always say that if you can type you will be able to have a job, which I don't know in today's climate if that is if that still stands. It might be like, you know, well, today it might be, can you run a Zoom meeting? Then you can have a job. <laughs> but uh, she, she would have us, uh, me and my cousin, Lee, we would have to um, bust out the typewriter and grandma would have us do these, these um, type, typing exercises with our hands, both hands. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's more difficult than it seems. Although you just made it look very simple. <laughs> yeah, I'll try it again, but relatively <laughs> <it's> easy. <laughs> yeah, well, we were younger at the time, you know. <laughs> I don't know that those. I, I do feel like I. I do feel pretty confident in my typing skills, so I guess the exercises must have paid off. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. Graham knows what's up. Shout out, Grandma. Great, great lady. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another great lady. Right, true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I found interesting um, was when she, your mom was talking about um, going to the grocery store conference. So I was like, man, I should just start going to all these random conferences and then applying their knowledge to my industry. And then I'll come up with all these new ideas and impress people. Like, what a great way to think outside of the box mm -hmm. and things that you don't think of because it's not necessarily pertaining to what you do, but like there are so many things that you can apply. Your boss and they're like, that's a great idea. Right. I think that's the best way, like searching for abstract 
um, knowledge and, and trying to figure out how you can apply it to your interests and your job and your field specifically is one of the most fantastic ways for you know, to, to be in a space of innovation because of that, right? If you go to, you know, you're going to the conferences um, for, and for me, it's, you know, you're going to a student development conference or you're going to an advising conference or whatever it is. And a lot of times um, we see, you know, some of the same topics covered over and over again. And I think it's so interesting to, when there is a new topic, you're super excited about it, of course. And, but I, I do think that's, that's interesting because even if you go like even if you're outside even if you're in if you work in athletics as an advisor and you go to the campus advising or go to a campus advising conference you're going to learn different things about you know advising skills than you would if it's specific to student athletes so i i did wonder though how like how would you how do you even find a grocery store conference that seems like so niche i don't know but i'm gonna dive into some google searches after this and find a a niche conference maybe i'll tweet what I, Ooh, i haven't tweeted in like two years i've been looking for an excuse to get back in the game you are I due for a tweet catch me at the something something conference how about that <laughs> uh, how about that how about that i think that seems like a good entry back into the twitterverse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love that idea because you go to conferences in your industry and everyone in your industry is getting the same information. How are you going to set yourself apart? Right. Right. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So, um, on an unrelated note, pizza or what's the verdict on the question of the day? (laughs) (laughs) question of the day (laughs) wow yeah that's that turned out better than i thought it was going to when i started doing it (laughs) i thought you're doing like a breaking news thing that's where i that's where i was at the beginning (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we brought it back i'm I'm very impressed thank you yeah i thought why don't i keep going with these do 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 do's and and that's what i did (laughs) it doesn't always pan out and that's the story of my success. You know what? I don't know. I think it's probably going to be pizza. Now, whether I order it out or whether I uh, make a homemade tortilla pizza, that is still to be determined. Oh, you are shaking your head. <laughs> pizza. That sounds unsatisfying. But I can have as many as I want. I don't know if that's how it works. Very you know what? You know what I really would like is some bagel bites, and I unfortunately do not have them. You know what I was going to suggest when you said what should I have for dinner? What automatically came to my mind was Totino's pizza bowls. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Hmm. I wish I had some Totino's pizza rolls. Totino's, if you're listening. <laughs> eat them live on the podcast and let everyone watch us scald the roofs of our mouths because we were too impatient wow. to cool down now that's a good segment <laughs> <laughs> what should we call it will this burn us <laughs> ah good times good times all right my friend it's been a pleasure and an As- honor As always, a pleasure and an honor.
All right, well, I guess I'll take it away. And that's the way the onion peels. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye.